You are listening to an American Theater podcast. American Theater is a publication of Theater Communications Group. www.americantheater.org. Hi, this is Deep Trance, senior editor at American Theater Magazine. I'm Jose Solis, a freelance theater critic, and we're both drama desk voters now. Or I'm, I am. Ooh, I'm gonna tell people who deserves awards. Look out, New York City! <laughs> I'm an influencer. You're gonna be the Cersei of, <laughs> of theater now. See, and I already look outside the window while drinking wine. So I this. Know. This works for me. Yeah. I hope you don't blow up shit, though. <laughs> you don't know. Depends on the show, right? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and uh, we're your token theater friends, people who love theater so much that they will see a show four times if they really love it. Like the show that we're going to be talking about today. What are we talking about? We are... Well, I'm so excited because we are interviewing two of the original cast members of Come From Away, Cesar Samayoa and Sharon Whitley, because the show is about to celebrate its 1,000th performance on Broadway, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's unheard of for a show that has no star or isn't a Disney property. And especially a show that's really good. Yeah, and it's actually really good. I was surprised. <laughs> you never know, you know. You're just so cynical. I'm so cynical. And uh, we're also reviewing some shows. It's been a busy July in New York City, and I don't know how I feel about that. But the shows we're talking about today is Midsummer, A Banquet from Food of Love Productions and Third Rail Projects, Midsummer Night's Dream with Food. <laughs> and the second show is going to be Mojada at the Public Theater by Luis Alfaro. And the third show that we're going to be talking about is The Rolling Stone by Chris Urch, currently playing at Lincoln Center Theater. And then at the end of the show, we're going to be talking about the Cats trailer because we are Jellicle Cats and we are ready for the Jellicle Ball. Are, are you dressed, Jose? Always. <laughs> always. I have my catnip in my pocket. And I got my, uh, well, what is it, leg warmers. You always have them on. <laughs> anyway, first off, let's do Midsummer, a banquet. So this is an immersive theater production version of a Midsummer Night's Dream. They give you a five-course, like, small plates menu. Because one of the, one of the co-producers is Third Rail Projects, and they do, like, a lot of immersive theater where you have to walk. And so I expect it to walk. But this is actually – it's just environmental. It just – it's a cafe in the perform in a cafe environment and the performers perform in front of you. I don't really know what food added to it. I feel like it's it was more of a novelty aspect, but, it, but otherwise it was a very solid production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. I really enjoyed for once I really enjoyed the the rude mechs portion of it because most of the time that I've seen it I found it so boring and it kind of like slows down the main action for me but this time they really camped it up and so I actually felt the humor of the rude mechs for the first time and why they were there so I really appreciate that thank you food of love productions 
Yeah, I always、um, think the last part is very boring. Yeah, right. Yeah, even in the Julie Tamer production, like it slowed it down. Dude, so the Julie Tamer production though was so self-serious that the room next were like, "What the fuck are y'all even doing here?" But I, I yeah, but I love that production. But Midsummer was one of those things where, like, you really—it's a fun summer show. You can't make it too serious. You have to really embrace the camp and how all of these people are super horny. Otherwise, like, it feels like you're watching two different shows. So, what did you think of this production? I actually liked the food and what it brought to、mm. the to the production because I felt the- it、okay. was like a pairing. It was not a wine pairing, but it was like a food pairing with a scene pairing. And I'm thinking, for instance, near the end of the show, when they're serving us dessert, and it's when the characters are at their horniest, and then they give us cherries and peaches to eat, and then just like the act of like, okay, now I sound like a pervert, <laughs> but just like the act of like eating a peach and so juicy and like it's like a butt. <laughs> she said it. And eating cherries, you know, it's not like we were using forks and spoons to have creme brulee or cake or whatever. We were eating with our hands. So just like the act of, you know, like eating a cherry and just like taking the pit out and all that, just like biting on the peach, while the characters were like just dying because they needed to get laid on stage. I felt that was very exciting, and I also love when they served us like a little salad with quinoa and some leaves. And tomatoes, and the crunchiness made me think so much about the forest where this show is supposed to be taking place in, because we were in New York City in the hottest day. It was the hottest day of the year.、Mm-hmm. Fortunately, there was AC inside. But anyway, we were in there and we were just having this like fresh food and crunchy vegetables, and it kind of like compensated for not only the heat outside, but also it enhanced. The lack of like you know we're not in the woods we know that、mm-hmm. but eating a tomato that's so green and so beautiful was made me think that I was in a forest with them so I I did like that a lot I just resented the fact that I could not get sangria during intermission you do get wine though you, you get, get complimentary wine. wine you get two cups so、mm-hmm. two glasses so yeah that's cool okay what else do we like about it okay yeah I wanted to talk about the director. And the actor who played Bottom, who I thought was really wonderful. Oh yeah, Charles Osborne. And he was flirting with you a little bit. He was a little bit. You don't know when people are flirting with you. Maybe that's why you're single. I mean, it could be. <laughs> yeah, I don't know when people are flirting with me. He was. Uh, and, and a little bit. I think. I think. Like when we we're talking about like giving you ice. Like I think he touched、oh, you a little.、Yeah. Oh, wasn't that just like an actory thing? Maybe it was an actory thing, but it it read to me as flirting. Anyway, Charles Osborne, who plays yeah,、uh, bottom <laughs> in the show, that that was a highlight for me because bottom is usually a very bottom's annoying an annoying role for me. Yes, is usually a very annoying character for me, but he Charles just really who flirted with Jose during the show. Charles just brought out like a very. There was like a vulnerability there, like you know, he just really cares about performance and the show. He's not trying to be. He's not. He's he's usually played very conceited, and and Charles played him as someone who just really wants to put a, a good theater production, which is really relatable.、Mm-hmm. His comedic timing was incredible.、Mm-hmm. I don't know how he did it. There's the scene where he was dying. You know, his character was. 
fake dying in the play within the play. Yeah. And when he did that thing on the bench, I was like... he flipped three times. (laughs) It was just so insane. And yeah, it wasn't that obnoxious, look at me, I'm an actor, you know, being like an actor-y kind of thing. It was very... I believe that their show really mattered to Bottom. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually mattered to all of them. And yes. so when, when something matters to a character, it matters to you. So that's Drama 101 for everyone. So. Amen. Who did you say the director was? Zach Morris. Oh, okay. I have to say that my favorite thing about the show was absolutely the way in which director Zach Morris envisioned it. Because this is a show that we have seen a thousand times. Oh, God, yes. And usually, how many one, times have you seen it? I don't even remember anymore. Right, like ever since like high school, like middle school onward, you're just, you're just like, oh my god, I know this, yeah, so much. Maybe we need like Titania to come and just put some like flower petals or whatever in our eyes so we can mm-hmm. see something different. But anyway, mm-hmm. and what what more is that was so which was so exciting to me was the fact that usually when we see this show, even in like smaller scale, not necessarily like huge Broadway productions or whatever, but, like smaller scale products, uh, smaller scale productions. There always, uh, there's an emphasis on the costumes and like changing the settings and all of that. And because this was set inside a cafe, uh, the cafe. Fay. Fay. Oh, that's cafe Fay? Yeah. The cafe. Kofifi. Kof- <laughs> Ew. <laughs> anyway, because this is set inside a cafe and they don't really have time or like the space to change the set a lot. Do you think the very limited resources they have in props and in costumes they did so much with it because i was so impressed by the way in which costume designer tyler m holland for instance using very subtle elements made us see you know uh, mark the difference between when they were playing like the young lovers when they were playing the gods and when they were playing the actors mm-hmm. and he did all of that using really um Basic elements. Just like, accents. Yeah. Costume accents. Yeah, like flowers for the gods mm-hmm. and leather for the lovers who bless the actress' hearts because wearing leather in the summer, you have my respect. Hats yeah. off to you. And also when the actors were portrayed, they were ver- wearing those belts. Mm-hmm. Around their uh, like like beauty queens like sa- yeah, yeah. sashes yeah sashes with the elements you know yeah. like because each of the with characters yeah. Each, each of the characters, the uh, the actors are known for what they do, like the weaver mm-hmm. and all of that. And just having that, you know, subtlety in the costume design was really beautiful because it also made sure that the audience was, you know, paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think another really genius thing that Zach did was he double casted the young lovers and the... Um, the brood max and so it keeps the energy up and also you for an honest mind it keeps the energy up because the faces are familiar and also like you've already seen these faces you don't really need to be reintroduced to them like it integrates the two stories together in a better way and i think that's part of why that portion worked the best it ever has for me Mm-hmm. I want to shout out also Lauren Walker because she played Puck, and Puck's also someone who's really annoying sometimes. Don't you think? Uh, no, but okay. You like Puck? I, I, Puck's my favorite. Puck's always my favorite. Oh, really? I'm always yeah. very annoyed by Puck. I'm like, just go away. Uh, but um, Lauren Walker, uh, not only was it exciting to see a black woman playing Puck, mm-hmm. because it added so much to to the, the storytelling, but also her 
oh my god when she gave the closing speech which is i think one of the most beautiful uh pieces of anything that shakespeare wrote and listening to lauren walker do that closing thing about shadows and all of that i felt that i was listening to it for the very first time See, and that's that's all you really want from Shakespeare, you know, because we all know it so well that if you do do something new with it and like give us good actors and good, really solid performances, then and maybe some food. Prosecco always helps. Prosecco always helps. That's going to be the key, key theme for this episode. I would be much happier if people got me drunk more often. Um, so if you're interested in seeing Midsummer, a banquet, uh, it's playing until September 7th and tickets are 75 to $200, which I know is pricey, but I will tell you, I felt very full after. And, and the food's vegan and gluten-free. And if you go to the 9 p.m. performance, it's like a night out. You don't even have to go out afterwards yeah, unless exactly. you really need to. So it's your life. I don't know. Do your, do your thing. <laughs> Live your best life, everybody. Yes. Next up, we went to the public theater for Mojada, which is Luis Alfaro's take on Medea. So basically, it's about a woman whose husband is a piece of garbage. Mm -hmm. And she ends up doing, uh, in case you don't know the story of Medea, she ends up doing something really, really, really sad at the end of the play. But anyway. It's like... It's so cute how you all don't know what happens at the end of Medea. I know people who didn't. Uh, actually, yeah, that, that's true. The, I, I, I know people who, who, who didn't know the ending of Orpheus and Eurydice and they mm-hmm. were shocked at Hades Town. So you know what? You were just fancier than regular people, Jose. Yeah, brush up on your myths, everyone. <laughs> myths. Anyway, Luis Alfaro's take is so exciting because he has transposed the story of Medea, which is usually done in tr- either a traditional Euripides version, it's like all mm-hmm. Greek, or it's just like updated, but it remains very culturally detached. And in Alfaro's take, because he's uh, Chicano, he's very interested in exploring the essence of Latinidad. In the play, Medea is a Mexican seamstress who comes to New York City in search of a better life for her husband, Jason, and her little kid, Akan. And they move to Corona, and then she goes down. And it's already sad, and it's very tragic. Mm-hmm. Yep. It doesn't end well. Nope. This is like Game of Thrones. If you... And, and if you thought this was this had a happy ending, you weren't paying attention. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's very sad. Do you like it? I loved it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was. What do you love about it? It was so detailed and so well crafted. One of the things I've interviewed Luis Alfaro for two different stories in the past, mm-hmm. and he's like one of the most thoughtful persons that I've ever met, like his attention to detail and his passion for storytelling that's off the time and off the moment is really wonderful. In many ways, I compare him to the character of Medea in the play because she's a seamstress and people bring her their dresses and she cuts them and recuts them. And she, there's this like really funny moment when she, mm-hmm. uh, she redoes a dress for one of the women she meets in, in New York. And the woman is so sure that nothing's ever going to fit her because she is not happy with her body and with the way that clothes look at her. But what Medea does to her dress makes her feel like the most beautiful woman alive. And I think that in many ways, 
what Luis Alfaro does to his plays is kind of like that. He he shapes them so they fit where they're playing. Because I was, did you know? I was very, I don't know this precisely, uh, that he has redone the world of the play yes, for every has. city. Yes, isn't that incredible? That takes so much work. I know for him. Yeah, yeah. Because like when I read the script, the the script was the script that they had used in California. So it was very Los Angeles. It had like Echo mm-hmm. Park, and there were like mentions of like places in LA. And there's, for instance, uh, 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 the the woman who asks Medea to redo her dress in the Los Angeles version was a pan dulce vendor, and in the New York version, she's a churro lady. And I was like, that's that's so precious because I didn't feel like it was telling us. Sometimes when people do that, when they adapt something so it fits where it's going, it feels condescending. It feels like, oh, you're probably not going to be too smart or you're not going to have enough empathy to understand mm-hmm. you know, what happens to people in California, for example. Yeah. But in his play, it felt like uh, kind of like a challenge, like you know, like this, see, this is a story that's happening right now, like outside this theater, like right now. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not something you can escape. And he was making us really uncomfortable. There are scenes that are very violent like that. It has one of the most compelling, and I, I really had to look away at one point. It has one of the most compelling uh, chronicles that I have ever seen of what it's like for someone to make the journey to cross the border hidden in trucks and hidden in, you know, crossing the desert. I had never seen that on stage. I've never seen it in any movies done that way. And it's a scene that made me really uncomfortable. And I just wonder what other people felt. I feel like sometimes when you do a, a use flashback as a device, it kind of slows down the action. But for me, every time they, they did a flashback, it came at the exact moment where I was trying to when I was trying to get frustrated with the character of Medea because she's a very passive figure for most of it until she does the thing she does, and and so a lot of things happen to her, and so what. The, the great thing about putting her in a contemporary setting and making her Mexican is you understand the accumulation of everything that happened and why she does what she does. Like, for me, I never quite understood why Medea, you know, kills her children. But now, ne- this version of her, I... Yeah, of course. It sucks, but who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. How could she not? Yeah, exactly. Like, well, what are the other options? And then at the same time, but though I, I did find one aspect of this frustrating, and I don't know, and I don't know what you thought about it. Um, at the end, where they talk about why the various particular circumstances of why they left their village, I found it to be a little bit too overwrought. They, I don't think they needed to give that specific or dramatic of a reason. I think the reason of them starving is enough. Is enough. I agree. That was the only moment that I also found off putting in the entire script. And because, yeah, you don't really need to know that. But also... Because then, because it made me think of like, oh, what Trump says about they're all criminals. Yeah, but also, because, you know, like what you're talking about is, since you said the word criminal, like we should explain what you're talking about. Spoiler alert. uh, The reason Medea and and Jason go leave Mexico is because they kill her brother. Mm -hmm. Because he was an asshole. Because he, yeah. Because yeah. he was a domestic, he was violent. Yeah. So, and, and 
so there was a good reason for it, but it's not a necessary reason. And I think if you're trying to make, I feel like it was one of those times where Louise was trying to make it more com- more compelling for a white audience. Yes. And you yes. don't need that yes. for us in the audience who are immigrants. Being in a circumstance where you don't have any food, that is enough. Not but, being, not having opportunity, not your son not having any opportunities to go to school, that's enough. But is it? I mean, because I know, you know, and I get, it, it, yeah. like, it obviously is. Like, yeah. we would not question it, but you're also saying as immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. And remember, like, the audience at the public theater is composed mostly of really, you know, wealthy white people. Yes. Yeah. So I wonder, and I agree that, that for us, that was not necessary. But what if for these people it was? Like, maybe they don't understand hunger and they don't understand you know not being able to send your child to school so they need to hear that like someone was abusing her she killed this person and then she um she she had to flee so i kind of get it i didn't like Mm -hmm. it personally but i get what it's there because i'm thinking right now about the way in which i've heard (laughs) countless stories about Ever since this president, whose name I will not utter, yeah. uh, ever since this president started his constant deportation, uh, that I know Obama was doing it. Also, I, I know that, so don't, yeah, don't use that against me. Um, but what this president is doing, when he's doing it so constantly and so thoughtlessly, and just so full of just the need to be evil, and I've heard so many stories about people especially under the ugh, administration, they're sent back to my home country, for instance, to Honduras. And someone told me not too long ago about this young woman who arrived on the plane, right, when she was deported. She arrived on the plane on a Friday. By Monday that same week, she was dead. They had killed her. Mm-hmm. Um, gang members had, had killed her. Yeah. And not necessarily because she had done something to them, but because I feel that a lot of people don't understand that. And I hope that's what Louise was doing with this over-explanation. A lot of people don't understand that when someone who has lived here for any amount of time gets sent back to their country of birth, not their home country, because that's different, their country of birth there's the impression by the people who live there that these people, they're coming from America, they have money. So we see people who maybe were slightly better living in America, doing like shitty jobs, just trying to stay alive. And when they get sent back to where they were born, gang members and police officers kill them because they think they have dollars and they think they're wealthy. So it's, yeah, it's fucking horrible. Which is to say that the great thing about the way Louise did this Medea was it's not just something to, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not something used to get, because it's an attention-grabbing headline. Like, it's it's taking something that's the story that's very old and also make it universal to say it's not just white women who can, who feel desperate enough to do these things on behalf of their families. It's like women of all races and i think when it comes to the immigration debate there are people that we extend empathy towards and like you know white immigrants from europe and there are people who we don't extend empathy towards 
and we forget that they're human and we forget that not that people do not put themselves in desperate circumstances unless they really have to. No one does that for fun. No one does it for fun. So thank you, Louise, for writing this. Yes, and I loved, and I, I, you know, uh, you're right. Uh, Medea is a very passive character, but I thought that what Sabina Varela yeah. Suniga does with that performance, it's almost out of a silent movie. Yeah, her eyes. Yes. And, and and isn't that so crazy? Because it's theater. Yeah. You don't, you can't see them up close. But mm-hmm. she was doing so much uh, that I, I don't remember. You know. Actors don't often do that no. on stage. Well, because like you said, you can't see their faces. And so it's really hard to give a word, mostly wordless performance unless it's on screen. But she, I don't, she does it. I don't know how she does it. Right? Isn't that like incredible? Yeah. She's yeah. Un- yeah, she's it's uncanny. Like, no, her I, face, I think, is just so expressive and open that even though like I'm sitting like, ha- like 10 rows away, I feel like she's looking at me. Yeah, same. Oh, my God. I'm glad we were on the same page with that. Cause- Yay! We didn't see the show together. I know. And good thing we have voting power and nominating power for staff. <laughs> They're going to take it away from us if you keep saying it like that. Oh, what does it mean? What does, what does that word mean? Oh, it's really... You don't know? No, I don't. It's interesting that you ask that because uh, the word mojada literally is translated to... It means wet. So in Spanish, because we have gender words... Uh, mojada means a wet woman, basically, or something female and wet. But what is so clever about the title is, well, not only obviously that it's uh, the syllables are the same as media, media, mojada. Yeah. But also that mojada means wet back. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So in the case of the play, it doesn't mean someone who's wet. It means wet back. Mm-hmm. And... The word itself is used as a pejorative, not only by white people who claim that every uh, Latino immigrant in this country is a criminal, a, a wetback, mm-hmm. yeah, but also even within the the immigrant community, because one of the characters, the rich lady Pilar, she thinks about the people in the same way that a white person does, right? Because she's Cuban, yeah. But that's a that's a specific thing that that Luis does, which is so amazing. Like he makes an, an intercommunal, like like inter Latinx discussion about how they view immigration, which isn't the same. Yeah, for everyone. Okay, sorry. Yeah. No, that was it. So it's 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 so mind blowing for me as a Latino just to see the word mojada, <laughs> you know, and banners like at the public theater and all that. Because like one of the things that Luis said when I interviewed him was they're trying to reclaim that word mm. and they don't want it to mean anything that that Latino immigrants don't want it to mean. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like Luis told me that uh, a lot of people got really angry at him because they're like, you're Latino, man. Like, how are you using this word? Like, it's a word that's been used to harass us, right? And to, to make us feel less. And wow. what Luis said was he's also queer and he said, well, we also reclaimed the word queer in the in the 70s and now i want to reclaim the word mojada for us so yep wow so basically it's been like this word's like in giant banners all over the city mm-hmm. you think that's triggering for some people i'm sure it is okay but i i hope that i i hope that the public theater makes it easy for these people to get to see the show yeah and speaking of that 
Uh, Mojada is running until August 11th, and tickets are $60, so I'm not sure about that. But there's there's $20 rush tickets every day. Yeah, get on it. Yes, yeah. and they're empty seats, so it's been extended. Get on it. It's very powerful. Oh, maybe I'll go again. Yeah. So the next, the final show we're going to be talking about today is The Rolling Stone by Chris Urch at Lincoln Center Theater. And it is about, it is, it is set in Uganda and it's a family drama. It's a, it's a very Christian family living in an anti, very anti-gay community where being gay is a crime and they look the other way when gay people are killed and in the Rolling Stone, uh, Demby, who's who's Ugandan, is in love with Sam, who's half Ugandan, half Irish, and there's negative repercussions for their relationship. Should we say that this play was interesting to me, and in that I could see why Lincoln Center programmed it because you know, I mean, we're just we just came off of. Pride, gay rights is still a problem all around the world. People are still dying because they're gay, because people kill them. So I understand why they programmed it, but at the same time, it felt kind of old-fashioned to me because I feel like in American culture, we're talking a lot about going beyond the uh, kill your gays stereotype, and I feel like this play kind of met every one of those. Yes, you're nodding. Each, yeah, I agree. Each and every one of them. It's, yeah, uh, wonderfully acted though. Oh, like yeah. the cast saved this entire thing for me. The uh, direction and set design not so much because there was really no set design, <laughs> so it wasn't pretty to look at. But all the but the cast were solid. I empathize with all the characters. I agree. And what I thought about the show was that it's it's a perfect encompassing of my endless problem with white queer men and it's the fact oh because the playwright's white (laughs) and it's the fact that white queer men my problem with the play is the problem that i have with a lot of white queer men and it's the fact that they equate their queerness with race with gender with you know your your citizenship for instance like it's like if something just to give you like an example i wish for instance that the white queer community had rallied behind the black lives matter movement they didn't however if there is you know uh homophobia in uganda they see only the part that's attacking their queerness. So it's not like they're interested in changing the world for better. It's only when they say they're coming after queer people. That's the only moment when they react. And mm-hmm. in this play, I think we see that because even, you know, Sam, who's the doctor and his light skinned, even though the play doesn't necessarily address racism, it's implied. I don't even think it's implied in the play. I think we see it because we're human beings and we're people of color. I think they say in the play about, like, it's a byproduct of colonialism. Like, Sam says that. 
Right, but I mean, yeah, but you have the white guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not white. The characters the white call him white. The very woke, which yeah. is interesting. But also, <laughs> it, I felt that that was the playwright going mm-hmm. like, look at me, I'm sensitive, and I know shit, when the fact is that the character was, again, a savior. He was trying to save people, and he was... Did you notice how many scenes were devoted to Sam's suffering when he was like... He was very self... uh, He was willing to sacrifice himself, aware that he could just pick up his bags and go back to Ireland. Mm -hmm. And then they have him, like, you know, like he had all those, like, Romeo moments when we were supposed to be. Yeah. Situation. Yeah. And, oh, literally. Yeah. (laughs) And I I didn't like that. I thought that made me really uncomfortable. I wish the play had addressed the fact that there's a lot of color, uh, that there's a lot of colorism. In African countries, and I would say in most countries that are constantly oppressed by white supremacy, which Uganda is one of those countries. Mm-hmm. What is interesting is I, I read an interview with with Chris, the playwright, and he talked about how you know the reason that African countries are so homophobic is because they adopted Christian religion, mm-hmm. and with the religion comes the homophobia. And I'm like, you know that, but you didn't put that in the play. Yes. And yes. so then it just makes it seem like, oh, those backwards people who kill their gays. Because yes. I don't trust a white audience enough to, th- to, to see themselves in the situation. Nope. And that's, that's precisely my point. Yeah, like evangelism was brought to this country by white people. Yeah. Yeah. And so, never got by white people. Yeah. So, yeah. I have no idea. It's it's fine. It's a well-made play. If you have not seen a play about these issues, or I do have to say that there were moments in the play that I really loved, and there were the moments when that involved music, because mm. I feel that's when the characters and their Ugandan uh, tradition and music. You know, it was so beautiful because they were marrying this super white Christian hymns with mm-hmm. African beats. And I think those were the moments when the play was truly alive. Okay. The rest of the time, it was just this like really basic melodrama out of like the 1980s. But the actors were great. Everyone is great. Mm-hmm. The woman who plays like the super homophobic Christian. Oh, I've like, seen her in so many things. She's so good. She was so astonishing. Uh, there's a lot of uh, Mira Laquisha Taylor. She's astonishing. She. I saw her recently play. Uh, Prospero in the Tempest at the public, mm. and she's so so wonderful. But anyway, what I love about something that even even white playwrights can't take away from us is how much uh, countries uh, you know that aren't that aren't white have things in common. Like I could see a lot of Latin American culture in what was suggested about Ugandan culture in this play. Like, for instance, mm-hmm. the uh, the character, the matron that Myra Lucretia Taylor plays, she looked just like my aunt, who's like <laughs> a huge evangelical homophobe. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I, I wanted to, like, ask her, like, how did you meet my aunt? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, do you know her? Like, how are you copying her moves? Yeah. And I think this play for you also brought out a lot of, like, a, a lot of memories for you of living in Honduras. And so, like, did... Did you, was there any value to you in being reminded of that? No, because it was not something that the play wanted to do. It's something that 
I brought with me because of my past and my history. Mm-hmm. But I wish the play because I was telling you, like, I don't think any of these people who saw this play are gonna go home and like research how can we help Uganda, or they're gonna think, oh, I'm gonna go donate to like the gay center in New York City. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like a lot of those funds and stuff, like a lot of you know, homophobia is something that has been appropriated by white queer men for the most part. Like I was thinking the story could have been so exciting also if it had been not about a gay man but about a lesbian. Yeah. And it's it's a it's a thing, you know, like a white man wrote this, so he's gonna just find what he relates to the most. I don't mm-hmm. know if he's queer or not, but he obviously wanted a male figure and if he's queer, he probably didn't see the man's race and the man's problem because of his skin color in his own country. What he saw was a gay person. And he was like, oh, I'm gay too. I can write about the gays in Uganda. (laughs) Well, let us know what you think of a Rolling Stone because I feel like we've given it the harshest critique out of all the pull quotes I've seen. Because aren't most of them by white writers? Yes. There we go. Yay! Uh, but let us know what you think of it if you get to see it. Uh, the Rolling Stones running until August 25th, and tickets are $92. But if you're under 30 years old, there are $30 tickets that you can buy in advance. In uh, happier news, do you want to intro our Come From Away interview? Yes. I love Cesar Samayoa and Sharon Wheatley, who have been with Come From Away for years. They're still doing the show. Their performances are getting even better with each passing year. So let's uh, listen to what they had to say about what the show means to them, about kindness, and about how world leaders smell. Sharon, Cesar, I'm so excited that you're here. Hi, uh... I've seen the show many times, and every time that I've seen the show, it's so incredible to realize that it speaks to something so of the moment. Like the first time I saw it, obviously, it was 9-11, and it was chilling. And just seeing it last week, the way that several uh, lines land was, I mean, I wanted to solve the entire time. So what's it like for the two of you being in a show that's so... Uh, I don't like the word timely, but it's timely and, and urgent. You, you can go ahead. I, I think we were talking about this last night. You know, when we first started the show, we just had no idea. Yeah. And even mm-hmm. last night, this is four years into it for yeah. both of us. Oh, and we keep on saying, can you believe what has happened yeah. with this show? You know, we just had our Australian company open this mm-hmm. past company week. Company number five. Company number five. Hilarious. <laughs> we there are five yeah. other Kevins and five other Diane running around, or yeah. four other plus all under says It's crazy yeah. to think. And that sometimes to even just see the pictures, I'm like, wow, look at that. Like, yeah. It's, it's, it's astounding. changing yes. for all of us. Yeah. And to think that we started in this little rehearsal studio in La Jolla, California, right. I think with this fit company, um, someone said because of where it takes place around the world that the sun never sets on come from away, which I love so much <laughs> to hear that That's there's amazing. always a come from away, like performing <laughs> at some point during the day. And I think that's really cool. You know, people often ask us why there's still so many original company members 
there's nine of the 12 of us are still there. I think you'd be, I mean, I don't have any statistics on that or anything, but honestly, I, I would be interested to know what other casts have stayed intact the way ours has. I think that it is mostly the show and then a lot the people and also just the experience of creating it and and meeting the people at the stage door, which is really a truly different experience, certainly than anything you know I've ever had, or I'm sure that you've ever had. You go yeah. out and normally you just sort of sign your name, your name, and they tell you how pretty your voice is, or you know, I like your hair. And, you know, <laughs> we're here. You come out, and people have obviously been visibly moved by what happened, and. And you have to just sort of stand and be with them and let them speak to you about what their experience was. And that's, um, it doesn't, it doesn't smack of the kind of sort of narcissism that sometimes you can feel, I can feel that way, at least when you go out to the stage door and, and you start to feel almost like um, Mickey Mouse at Disney World, like people just want the opportunity to take your picture. And there's plenty of that too, but there's such, um, people come with their own stories. And so it's, 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 it feels deep. We're here because we're celebrating the 1000th performance of Come From Away on Broadway. But I know for the both of you, I don't know how many times you've performed the show since, you know, La Jolla in like 2016. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure more than both of us are well times. over a thousand. Yeah, well yeah. over a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> I, how did I don't you, even know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, celebrated our, our individual thousandth performances all at different times based on vacations mm -hmm. and whatever. Yeah. So now we're just like over a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like prison where you keep keep like a little check mark. Can you imagine? One of our stage managers does like keep it on her phone. Like if you want to know what show you're She'll on, you she'll be like, exactly. oh, I can tell you. <laughs> but and how do you keep it fresh for yourself? Like more than a thousand performances in because it's it's new to the audience every night, but it's mm -hmm. not new new to you. I mean, for me, I think I mean this cast. Honestly, is is pretty astonishing. Yeah. I, I I crack up and I I get deeply moved yeah. every night yeah. watching my fellow cast members do scenes that I've seen now over a thousand times, right. and I will still find it uh, very funny. I will still find it fresh. I will still find mm -hmm. it moving. Mm -hmm. Like looking at our cast mm -hmm. members in the eye and saying the lines that we've said, it yeah. feels completely new. I don't know how to describe it. Maybe it's because we are representing real people yeah. and there's a deep um, kind of respect and almost honor that goes with that. You know, I, I personally feel that I have to do my best, you know, in order to represent this community and yeah. these people. Yeah. I think that part of it too is because we've all done it for so long mm. that the standard is so high and that none of us walk up like on a Wednesday matinee and are we standing in the wings and saying like, I'm so tired right. or I'm over it. Like that language isn't allowed. Yeah. It really isn't. And if somebody goes there, we kind of check it. Yeah. I mean, as we joke, but we just don't go there. We don't talk about how we're getting through. We don't talk about how long we've done the show unless we're celebrating mm -hmm. how long we've done the show. But I think that it's just, I think our standards are high. I think that we want the show to be really good. 
And I'll tell you what, if I'm doing something and I'm there and I'm seeing Caesar just like dance in screech with the same kind of energy that he danced in screech all the way back in La Jolla and still like doing his turn and really, and then he mm-hmm. turns around and his little twinkly eyes look right at me. <laughs> I'm not going to mark it. I'm not. And I think that that isn't something that we've all discussed in so many terms, but there is an accountability that's held by yeah. all of us. You know, the show starts with this, uh, this drum beat. And I, I always feel like it's the heartbeat of the show. And mm-hmm. no matter what you've gone through, because everyone has, you know, lives and a, has gone yeah. through something that morning or that afternoon. They may be tired. They may not. Yeah. But like, let me tell you, you hear that drum beat and you look at the entire cast and you just go. <laughs> you better show <laughs> yeah, up. That's you right. <laughs> you got to. Although I did not live in New York during 9-11, for some really strange reason, not theater related, which is even more mind-blowing to me, I ended up sitting in a communications board with the real Kevin T. Oh, wow. And I was like, I freaked out also. But he was like, oh, I wrote the book. And I was like, I was like, I, I died. <laughs> what I love about the show is that, you know, like I was coming from a country very, very far away. And I ended up in a room with this person who is uh, a character in the show. And I love how Come From Away makes the world feel so small. Mm-hmm. And we're all like connected. And I would love if you, uh, if you're comfortable sharing about people from other countries who come to the show, and they tell you about their own 9/11 experiences, but also about how the show inspires them to go and pay it forward mm-hmm. afterwards. I've, uh, when I, I love this story, when I was in, when we were in DC, this young woman uh, came up to me after the show and she said, "I'm I'm Muslim and." Um, I, I even, she couldn't even really speak what she wanted to say, but, but she said, you know, my parents made me always feel that being taken aside in airports and being questioned was normal. They, or they normalized it for me. So they wouldn't, um, so I wouldn't be scared about it. And she said, for the first time watching this show, I realized how my parents' lives, they completely changed on that day. And uh, she insisted on bringing her parents to the show, and they came to the show. And the father could, I'm, I'm gonna start crying. The father couldn't even talk, like, because uh, he was so moved. He said, You didn't, this team didn't have an agenda. They just showed what it was like for different people at that time. I had a fun experience at the stage door that's sort of related to your question, which was I came out, and there were two women who were visibly moved. Um, more distraught than even normal, right? There are times when you can tell. Uh, you just think something's about to come out of their mouth. And so sometimes you just kind of hold their hand and give them a minute. And so they said, um, I said, are you okay? And they said, yeah, well, both, we both lost our husbands in the towers. And I said, how was it watching the show for you? And they said, well, you know, we laughed and we cried, which is exactly what we've done every day since this happened. And they said, but now we have a new thing. We have a new idea. We're going to go to Gander because we want to meet all of the people. And they <laughs> said, we want to go see where something good happened on that day. And I said, that's amazing. And then I went down the line and there were two women there. And they had Newfoundland flags. And they said, we're from Gander. <laughs> 
And I said, are you really? And they said, yeah. And I said, so what did you do that day? And she was, they were like, oh, nothing. I mean, you know, we just had people in for showers and then I made a tray of sandwiches, but you know, we didn't really do anything. And I'm like, that's a lot. (laughs) Uh, And they said, yeah, you know, but they were just so like beaming and happy. And they were the, almost the exact same age as the two women that I'd met from New York. And so uh, I said, hold on a second. I went down and I got the two women from New York and I was like, come up here. I said, these women live in Gander, and they're coming to Gander. And when I left the fourth, they were all talking to each other and making plans. And like, where are you going to stay? What are you going to do? And what's the best time of year to come? And where should we go? What should we see? And I thought that was just incredible. It's interesting because I hadn't seen the show until a couple weeks ago. And I've been thinking a lot about the border crisis and like, people coming looking for shelter and not being given it Mm, and the show is about like a a different kind of border crisis but about people who were welcomed in a land that they were that was foreign to them right and so with all the news happening about immigration like has the show helped keep you positive about like humanity because for me it reminded me like oh people can't be kind (laughs) i think it definitely reminds you that there's humanity that goes beyond the presidency. <laughs> like, like we are more than just what the president is saying that we're going to do. There's a whole world of people out there. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, even when we were, we did the concert, we did a concert version of the show in Gander before mm-hmm. we came to Broadway. And one of the performances, there were these little kids running around. We were performing in the hockey rink. And so they were little, they were like two. And so first I'm a mother of two. And, and sometimes we're the, worst in terms of like, you know, why did you bring your children to this <laughs> And I had this moment of like, what, how odd that they're here. And well, it turns out that they were a family of Syrian refugees that had been brought to Gander and they have a whole, you know, system set up where they're bringing people from Syria. We ended up you know, collecting money and buying gifts for all of these families and sending them to Gander so that they could have Christmas. Wrapping parties. Wrapping parties. parties. And so even me on a personal level, like I have grown and learned and, and become much more aware of crossing of borders. But I think the great hope is just that, you know, we are the people. Yeah. I mean, this, I mean, this is the show is basically saying that our go-to, you know, if you really let people just be themselves, is kindness. We yeah. ultimately just want to help each other out, and somehow we're in a, in a time where that is being forgotten. You know, and we're being told that we actually don't want to help each other out, which is just nonsense. Um, so it's it's quite something being reminded like day after day, just basic human kindness. It keeps me going. I think it's changed yeah. all of us significantly. And I remember at one of the talkbacks, I think it might have been Kevin T said, you know, basically on 9-11, everybody who was on those planes was a refugee. And mm-hmm. Gander made, a, the people of Gander made a decision to take these people in, into their homes, yeah. people from all over the world. They had no idea what was happening. Nobody knew what was happening. Nobody knew what kind of danger they could possibly be in. But they didn't make the decision to turn them away. They made the decision to bring them in and look at what has happened. 
So how do we get the cast of Come From Away to run for government? Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the mayor of Gander, Claude Elliott, who was the mayor of Gander for, you know, I don't know, 120 years. I, I mean, it seems like, I mean, he really was <laughs> the mayor forever. So he finally just, cool? like, how do I don't know, it's Canada, so it's obviously good. Yeah. But, um, but I'm sure everybody was like, yeah, Claude, you're doing a good job. Sure, vote for Claude. But no one's going to run against him. But it was funny when he when he decided he wasn't going to be the mayor anymore. We were all like, Joel Hatch is going to have to go be the guy. Claude Elliott. And he was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I just think I definitely have moments where uh, I have come to realize that there's a difference between talking about being kind and talking about gratitude and hashtag gratitude and having like a kind presence on social media. And then there's the thing where you hold the elevator. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I want to be the person who holds the elevator. It's just like a lifelong challenge for me personally. It's good because sometimes people recognize me as being in the show and I'm like, I do not do it. Like, the aces out somebody for a taxi and then getting into a cab that has like come from way on the top. I'm like, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Having seen the show, and I've seen I've seen you every time I've seen the show, and you were out last time I went, so I'm very sad. Sorry. Very <laughs> rare. This was always there. I'm shocked that it was always me. I know. <laughs> it's like the only the one time. It's like a marriage, though. It's like you crash. Someone has to leave at some point. Yeah. I know. Anyway. You know, for me as an audience member, I see, I see how you've changed in the performance, and... Uh, you know, like the first time I saw Diane, I was like, oh, she reminded me of my mom. Mm-hmm. And then this last time I was like, Diane's pretty hot. <laughs> okay, now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think as the show grows and changes, first of all, we have different audiences. And second of all, um, you know, one of the new cast members is Lee McDougall uh, went back to Canada and is doing um, theater in Canada. And... Um, that was a very um, heartbreaking loss for me, for him to go. I mean, really, I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it through. I don't know if anyone really knew if I was going to make it through. <laughs> and then I got Jim Walton. And Jimmy is um, a flirt. <laughs> Sometimes we come off stage and I'll be like, Jim? And he'll be like, <laughs> just adorable. And so that's changed me. That's changed how I play Diane. It changes how um, we interact. It's changed how we kiss. It's changed lots of things. I love Lee. I will always love Lee. I would take a bullet for Lee. If Lee ever came back to the show, I would be the first person to be like, (laughs) Um, uh, but it's been really fun regrowing this relationship with Jim. So thanks for noticing. <laughs> you performed for you know Justin Trudeau, the Clintons, and which world leader smells the best? Huh. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. I have an embarrassing Justin Trudeau. <laughs> I do too. Like, thing. We all took a, a group photo at the end of the I show. About this. Yeah, we all took a group photo at the end of the show, and 
thank you, God, that Justin happened to be standing right in front of me when he came. So he turned around, and I, you know, I was just enamored. You know, I just didn't know what to do. He has that charisma. He you know? does. He goes right up to you. He's very tall, handsome, and like goes to shake your hand. You're like, wow. Like, wow, you know, yeah. he just has that kind of factor to himself. So he, I'm standing behind him. I'm probably already like 10 shades of red at that moment. And he turns around and he fixes his hair and he's like, the hair's got to be perfect for the shot. And I said, your hair's always perfect. Like it just, <laughs> it just like came out. <laughs> and one of our cast members happened to take a picture at that exact moment. So it's me just like... <laughs> And he's like turning around with his hand in his hair, just looking like a model. And now that picture's up in our theater. He's looking like a complete fool. So he smells great. That's all the story short. He smells great. I was in line to meet him, and I really was like, I don't care. I really was like, it's not, not going to bother me at all. Whatever. He's a prime minister, no big deal. Yeah. Right? Handsome. Who cares? So I get to him. And I shake his hand like this, and there's, I have a picture of this too. I see what <laughs> this. And I felt myself doing it. I was like, what are you doing? Sharon, what are you doing? But his eyes, I was like, wow. <laughs> How's his biceps? <laughs> really good. <laughs> it's all really good. And I don't have a lot of shame about that story. I feel proud. <laughs> I'd be pretty proud. Yeah, no, you're speaking for all of us. Yes. If we ever met, it would be like, okay, I just need to do something. Yeah. yeah. Right it was really cute. Also, Bill Clinton. When yes. I met him, I was I never understood it. I met so, him in person, yeah. and I was like, boy, he has got that thing. Mm-hmm. I totally get it. And he had kind of personal stories for each of us about yeah. moments in the show and, uh, you know, that kind of equated to his life and what he experienced on that day. And it was quite astonishing. It really was. He was really quite something. And he said to me, he said, your accent was good. He said, you know, my people are from Texas. And I was like, he just looked at me and said, thank you. So cute. I can't take it. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) You'll find drama throughout your show. I know. Anyway, Laura Bush also thought I did a good Texas accent. So I always say I have a, a... Bipartisan accent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad you brought that up because I wanted to know, you know, if you have to go and sit and update your resume on your skills, which skills uh, did you develop because of Come From Away? Oh God, I hope kindness. I know that's not a normal yeah. skill, but that's the one I work on the most. Yeah, I mean, our, our show is so much about group play and community and um it certainly has gone into our lives you know it's like i walk into an audition room and i think about different stuff now i think about like how am i going to work with this director you know like how will i work with this team how will i work with this company that yeah that they're forming because this has been such an amazing experience of kind creative um inspiring people that that's kind of all I want to do now. Sharon and Cesar, I'm hugging you both after we start rolling, so you're not escaping that. Uh, would you like to invite our viewers and our listeners to come see Come From Away and if they can, on the thousand performance? Oh, oh yeah. My you do it. You get that cute face. No, my gosh. Please, come see Come From Away. First of all, we're celebrating a thousand, a thousand performances of 
of uh, telling this beautiful story of That's right. kindness. That's right. Uh, and and I, a lot of us are still there. Like if you've been listening to the cast recording and maybe you were thinking, oh, they're all gone. The good news is that we are happily there. We are happily at the Schoenfeld every night. We still love the story that we're telling. Yeah. And um, I challenge you to find a show that's been running the way ours has and to find people who are still so deeply invested in the story and in the audience. Yeah. We care. So, Jose, if you were a Jellicle cat, which Jellicle cat would you be? I would actually be Sharon Whitley, who was <laughs> in the closing company of cats. Who would she play? And I regret that one that's like Jenny Dot something was her name. So you would not be Grizabella. Uh, I probably would be because she's like all washed up and like sad. <laughs> but has the best song. Oh, her name is was Jenny and Dots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what who I would want to be. Is that <laughs> the one that Taylor Swift is going to play in the musical? No, I think she's playing Rumple's Rumple Teaser. Oh, okay. Well, one thing I have to confess is that I I do love cats, and I'm not you know I, I I'm not ashamed to say it. Uh, but I don't know the names. I only know Grizabella. I, I don't. And the old cat because it's yeah, old. Mr. Mistopheles or. All Deuteronomy. De- Deuteronomy, yeah. yeah. I-, I know I know Rum Tum Tigger because he's a very sexual cat and that really uh, sticks out in my hand. I don't don't I- The musical did this. It is not my fault. The musical sexualized cats, which I think <laughs> is why the movie is going to sexualize cats. Oh my god. Was Caster sexual awakening? No, that was Phantom, but Cats didn't help. Cats was very confusing. Oh, God. So, like, Andrew Lloyd Webber has shaped your sexual identity, yeah. basically. I wonder yeah. what did Evita do to you? I, I've never seen Evita, okay. so I'm... But, yeah, but probably, like, <laughs> choosing bad boyfriends is what Evita did to me. Um, <laughs> so, what did you think of the Cats trailer? It looks so insane. I cannot wait I to get very stoned and yeah. go see this movie. I don't understand who thought it was a good idea to not to like make them look like people, but with fur. They look like Dr. Seuss characters. Yeah, well, no, they look like the cat in a hat, but cat in a hat was very creepy, too. So creepy. I don't know. I think, because the reason I wanted to talk about it, because I've seen it on stage, and I feel like this is one of those times where like something's getting lost in translation between mediums. Because Cats is a very experiential show. You don't go to Cats for the story. You go for the live singing and you go for the amazing dancers. The fact that they're playing Cats is kind of secondary. It's more the spectacle of the thing, kind of like a Cirque du Soleil show. And I don't don't think the people who made the movie really understand why Cats is appealing other than, oh, Cats, longest running Broadway show behind Phantom. Right. Or like, I guess some people would go and hope that they would be touched by the cats when they go, when they walk among the audience. But I I agree with you and all of that. I mean, the musical itself is bonkers and anything, you know, watching the movie, I mean, watching the story, watching the show outside the theater by itself sounds extremely uh, insane. But the one thing that I always think about when you know a movie musical is about to come out and people are just like trashing it like who needed this no one really needed this but i always think about the fact that 
Broadway is in the U.S. And, you know, they go on tour sometimes. And I guess the West End, they also, mm -hmm. you know, but theater, musical theater has been very limited geographically to very white countries. And it's... Sure. Yeah. And it's also for people who can afford tickets. And it's both, you know, the theater itself is kind of racist. The mm -hmm. access to theater is very race-based and also wealth-based. So I was very excited about Cats, the movie, happening because who knows how many children in Asia and Latin America and Africa are going to have their sexual awakening <laughs> to this movie, <laughs> right? I mean, they're not going to be able to touch the cats like on Broadway, but who knows? I mean, it's, it's so it's so... It's so interesting to me because for a musical that's so criticized and so loathed in so many circles, we're talking about cats right now. Yeah, it has staying power. The thing is, I don't know if like the when you translate something to a different medium, like you have to translate to that medium and find something new that's appealing about it. You don't have the liveness. You don't have the spectacle of it. You don't have like the fantastical like thing of we're just gonna pretend these people in leg warmers are cats and so i don't think it's you see a lot of movies like is it as easy to suspend your disbelief for like metaphors and fantastical elements when on a screen if it's a good movie yes and okay. something that i'm seeing about cats is for instance just in the trailer like we see the cats leaving and we see the cats you know something i think something that the movie's already giving us even though it's just a trailer besides Dame Judi Dench's fabulous fur coat. What does she make it out of? Uh, it matches her. Holy fuck. <laughs> Maybe her, her, her balls. Her hairballs. Ew. Dame Judi Dench is throwing up hairballs and weaving them into a coat. Oh, Dame Judi. <laughs> anyway, but something something the movie version is already giving us is the fact, you know, on the trailer we see the cats dancing in like very large furniture no but also outside mm -hmm. and theater doesn't have that like the cats are just like dancing next to a garbage can basically yeah, yeah it's in the junkyard yeah so now we're seeing the cats move and jesus christ i sound like i'm stoned which i promise i'm not but the trailer shows us the cats living in their own unique spaces like maybe jesus christ i can't believe i'm saying this out loud maybe we're gonna get to know more about each cat and the lives <laughs> that they have. Why do you like, want to know more about that? Have you seen how popular those The Secret Life of Pets movies are? No. They're really popular. Kids love them. So you, you, do you think Cats is for kids? I, I mean, movie, you I think, think so? so. Yeah, it's a family movie. I mean, the gays already decided they won't want it. Although I can assure you that all the gays are going to go see it and pretend they don't love it and then secretly be listening to like J-Hud going Singing touch me <laughs> anyway i wish you, i could you're totally a grisabella yeah, i wish i could reach the betty buckley note but anyway i don't uh, think, think j-hud can either so it's fine i love j-hud though and like people you know that what but this but the reaction to the cat's trailer has made me think about a lot because they're talking about how they developed this like new technology for like digital fur yeah, ooh, oh, God. that's gonna be my drag name <laughs> um, <laughs> But you know, maybe for, for a Halloween costume, you should be digital fur. And like, I don't, I don't trust Tom Hooper. I think he's one of the worst movie directors. Not, no, that sounds very harsh. I don't think he's a good director. But 
The one thing the man knows how to do is how to capture faces. And a lot of people were complaining that the cats have like digital fur bodies and like human faces. Not even that. It's more like they just look like humans with fur on them. They have boobs. They have like asses. And they have tails coming out of their ass cracks. It's just weird. They're very weird. And Taylor Swift's cat has heels. Yes, she has character shoes on. But you know, I don't I don't I don't like some Hooper's work, but I think we might be impressed by the way in which he's going to capture the faces of these actors. Because I can already see, you know, like when Jennifer Hudson came uh, with Dreamgirls, right? And she had never acted before. And then mm-hmm. she swept all the movie awards. And I, I would not be surprised if by the end of the year, Jennifer Hudson in her digital fur as Grizabella... It's also like racking up a bunch of like awards. Oh God! I would not be surprised. You have a lot of faith in the Academy and their ability to see past the fur on people's faces. I have a lack of faith in the awards uh, thing. No, because what I what I meant was like the reaction that I'm hearing to cats and how weird it looks because it does look weird. Doesn't it remind you of the same way that people talked about Avatar before it came out? And then Avatar came out, and although it's uh, it's almost it's been a decade since it came out, and I remember when I went to see Avatar, I had never seen anything like it before, and it just blew my mind. It was so astonishing, and I would you know maybe I'm just being idealistic, but I would not be surprised if we when we end up actually going to Cats, it's probably going to be it might be something quite unique, or it might be garbage, in which case. Get some drinks before you go see it. Though that will not be dissimilar from reactions of Cats the Live Musical. Exactly. So some people think it's garbage. Other people think it's the best thing ever. So hopefully we'll still be... Token Theater Friends will still be around in December so we can watch Cats and get back to you about that. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's have a viewing party. Viewing party. Field trips. Touch me. It's so easy to leave me. Oh my god. Alone with the memories of my days in the sun. Oh my god, you know the whole thing. Yeah, I know the whole thing. (laughs) What? You didn't sing it in middle school choir? We did not have musical theater when I grew up, so no. The answer is no. See, no wonder you moved to America. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh,. Rate us on... Please leave us a rating. It makes us happy. Unless it's a low rating, then you're going to make us into... We're just going to be like Grizabella and we'll just sing. But tell us why you don't for. like us so we can improve. Oh, yeah. And if you're going to leave us a bad rating, give us give us constructive criticism. We can take it. Yes, we are big cats. Yes. And, yes, we're big like, you know, Judy Dench in her fur coat. Thank you all for listening. And remember, theater is more fun when you take a friend. Bye.